This morning's scripture reading comes from Proverbs and is comprised of several different passages, as Pastor Sharon already mentioned. Uh, we're going to start with chapter 14, verses 17 and 29. Please follow along in your own Bibles or just listen as the text is presented on the screens above. And we'll be reading this morning from the New International Version. A quick-tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. In Proverbs 15, verses 1 and 18, it says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Proverbs 19, verses 11 and 19 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them, and you will have to do it again. And finally, in Proverbs 24, verse 29, it says, Do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. The word of the Lord. There was a group of us that went to Israel. Um, we left on April 1st from here, and April 1st this year was... You guys are remembering. Good. April Fool's Day. Remember that? And um, so we ended up being in, in uh, the Holy Land for two Easters, because there's the Western calendar, which celebrated Easter on the 1st of April, and then there's the, the Eastern calendar, which is on the 8th, so it was a week later. And so we actually, those of us who went, actually got to, I don't know what you call that, time something, uh, time travel. And uh, we were there, we had two Easters this year. What a blessing. So I want to tell you about that because uh, I want to try to expose here a couple of myths. We're going to be talking about anger today. And there's two myths that uh, you may have believed, and I think I did. So here's the first one. And the myth is that the people in that place, in the Holy Land, have just always not gotten along. They've always hated each other. They're always at each other's throats. It's been a long history, 2,000 years of it. And that is absolutely not true. It is just not true. And we heard stories of of Jewish people who were neighbors to Palestinians, whether they were Christian or Muslim, and how they, uh, you know, their grandfathers did things together. And and, uh, that that, that myth is very real, though, and I've heard it so many times. But uh, just to give you an example of probably, at least for me, was just kind of a highlight of our trip. On that Easter morning of the 8th, we were in a little town on the West Bank outside of Ramallah, and there were two churches, at least, that we were uh, became familiar with. The Roman Catholic Church, uh, which is where we attended, and then the Greek Orthodox Church was up the street. And they decided, out of, as a sort of a symbol of Christian unity, to celebrate Easter on the same day. So the Western calendar would be the Roman Catholic, and they should have celebrated it the week before with all the rest of the Catholics in the world, but they decided just out of unity in this village to celebrate it on the same day as our Greek Orthodox brothers and sisters. Kind of cool. And then we actually went to the Roman Catholic service, and we were served communion, which, um, you know, I've, that's the second time in my life I've received communion in a Catholic church, and uh, kind of a surprise. It was very nice. We understood the Lord's Prayer, uh, not much else. Uh, it was in Arabic, everything, but even I could understand the Lord's Prayer in Arabic. But it was a comment that the priest made after the service that 
made me realize about this myth, and it was that the Muslim elders and leaders in the village had come to that church that morning to say, we want to bless you and wish you well on Easter. Now, that's not the, 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 what you get in the news, is it? I mean, that is really cool. And you, you saw that we had a, a, an Israeli Jewish guide and a Palestinian Muslim, sort of, they were both sort of secular in their own ways, but these labels get attached, and they got along great. And we heard stories from every side of this. So, and then another myth is that the Palestinians are always angry people, because that's how they are per, uh, perceived in the press. And we met Palestinian Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, and also Muslims, but mostly the Christians. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ in whom we will spend eternity with. And they have anger about their land being taken away the same way you would if when you go home today, somebody else is living in your house. That's a human level anger, no matter what your politics is. If you don't get that, you don't get, I don't know. And it's just, it's the way people are. It doesn't seem right. But they, at least the, the, especially the Christians that we talked to, they said, we don't want to be known as angry people. Yes, we have anger, it comes out, but we have a good life here. We love our life here. We don't want to leave this land. And how do you, here's the, the question we're going to wrestle with here. How do you have appropriate anger in this world as you go through it and teach that to your children? You know, as they walk down the road, there's some road rage out there. Did you know? You know? How do we prepare them for that road? And I, I saw in these Palestinians the uh, ability to handle anger without letting it consume you. So here's, here's where we want to go. And this is personal to me because the reason... Uh, well, I shouldn't say the reason. The reason, the reason I'm not an atheist anymore, this is going back to my college years, was because I was for a year or two, but I realized I did not want to um, be an angry person. And for me at least, I'm not saying this is true of every atheist, but to, to maintain my atheism, my belief that God did not exist, required a lot of anger. And I, I couldn't sustain that. I didn't want to be that guy, you know, that angry guy. I didn't want to be that person. And that's what gradually uh, loosened me up. And then a couple of years later, uh, I met Jesus Christ. And everything changed from there. So uh, what we want to do, here, here's, where I, here's my case. I'll make it for you right now. I, for us to experience anger, the best thing we can do is to be angry like God. That, can you receive that? To be angry like God. And I'm going to make that case, and uh, I'm going to give you some practical help as whether parents, grandparents, or maybe it'll just help you deal with some anger, and then we're going to look at some deeper healing. So to be angry like God, let's start with the basics of Christian theology. We, men and women, are created in the image of who? God. So does God get angry? It's okay to say he gets angry. Do you get angry? Okay. Is your anger like God's anger? No. Okay, you guys are on to this here. All right. So I want to, let, me, let me go a little deeper. Uh, psychology, and I'm going to use, I have to go there a little bit, and I'm going to go there today. 
But psychology is very confusing on, the, confusing on the topic of anger. You'll read a lot of different stuff, seemingly contradictory. It's kind of a mess, actually. Uh, so it's helpful, but, you know, can you do better? And uh, there's not a lot of agreement sometimes on things. And one of the areas is in this... Um, um, topic of, of how you define anger and what it is and what it isn't. So one uh, definition is that anger is the energy that is released toward, or in defense of someone or something that you love. That is, let me say it again, uh, anger is the energy that is released in defense of someone or something that you love. So in other words, let's t- at the human level, if you love money, you will be angry if your 401k drops, maybe. Right? Does that make sense? If you, uh, if you, you know, whatever it is, you put in that category of love, is, it has anger that's going to be attached to it. Now I want, I want you to see this with God. The reason that God gets angry is because what? He loves people. So when there's something that is going to hurt a person, or if that person is going to hurt another person, he gets angry. That's what you would expect from God. That love and anger go together. Now there's another definition out there that says love and anger can never go together. And that's, that's why I say this is confusing. But if you read the Bible, I think what you'll see with your own eyes is that it is God's love that is, is the, the, the foundation, the basis of his anger. Now, there's two things about God's anger. Remember, I want us to be angry like God. That's what it means to be godly, is to be like God. So how, what does it mean to have godly anger? Well, there's two qualities to it. That, and this is very simple, and everybody can grab onto these two things. The first one is to be slow to anger. Slow. Let's just say slow together. Slow. Don't say it too fast. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to remember here. Slow to anger. And there's a famous Bible verse, and I'll read it for you because uh, this is in the dealings between God and Moses in chapter 34 of Exodus when they're up on the mountain together. Uh, famous passage, the Lord, the Lord, verse, verse 6, chapter 34, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, there it is, and you'll find it many places elsewhere, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now imagine... If God were quick to anger, that he had a hair trigger, that every time the sin detector went off when you went under it, which would be like, you know, a lot, right? Yeah. It's like TSA, you know. You never get through that thing. Somewhere in there, there's metal. Okay. But the, the, the alarm goes off. Every time, because God is quick to anger. Just, it's, a, it's a horrible thought to think about. And, you know, some people have that image of God. But he is very slow to anger. So Friday, this is my, you know, one of the hazards of my uh, calling is that I, I study things like this and, and that the word patient means, um, as, as it was read here in Proverbs, the, the word that's used means to have a relaxed face. To be patient is to have a relaxed face. 
oh, okay, well, so I'm, I'm studying this stuff, slow to anger, and I've got just enough time between something I really wanted to do that afternoon. Okay, I'll just say what it is. It, 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 it's a great anger producer in people. It's called golf. Okay. You know, I was trying to get everything done, so I left, I left time for just a little, little lunch there. And in the fastest place to go for lunch, to me, is it's freaky fast. I, I won't say the name because I don't like to advertise in church, but J.J., right? It's freaky fast. That's their advertisement. So I go there. I, did, I neglected on the way in to see the sign that said, Help Wanted. <laughs> I saw it on the way out. And I go in, and there's a line of five people. There's people over here, and there's three people behind the counter, and the phone's ringing. But I said, okay, these guys, there's a sign. It says freaky fast. I'm going to just trust it. Be. So I, there I am. I'm waiting. It was 25 minutes to waiting. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Relaxed face. This is <laughs> this is, this is, a, this is a teaching moment here, you know. So uh, that was my my Friday. I, I I put all that in there because we have a hard time being slow to anger. And then, not just slow to anger, but quick to forgive. So I'm going to get you to say that in a minute, but slow to anger, quick to forgive. The same verse in Exodus 34, 7. Uh, and God, the one who also forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess our sins. I mean, God is famous for being a forgiver. I don't think I need to make that point, but he's quick to forgive. And then in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, I think is this thing about do not let the sun go down on your anger. When we lived in, I, I may have shared this a little bit before, but when we lived in Alaska, we loved that verse June 21st and we hated it December 21st. <laughs> the sun went down awfully early in the wintertime. And if you were angry, well. So it was the idea of, of being quick to forgive someone. And we find that quality in God. And you see it in these Proverbs that I'm going to bring before you now. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient, and there's the word, a relaxed face, calms a quarrel. A, person, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is, uh, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. The word glory, uh, it has to do with splendor. And you all have a splendor. Because you're created in God's image, we have a splendor. But we lose that splendor when we uh, melt down in anger in a public way. Socially, we lose cred when we get angry in public. And I'm going to share a story here in just a minute uh, about that. So we lose our glory. But we increase our glory when we overlook an offense because we're becoming more like God. So what is God? God is what? Slow? Come on, slow to anger and quick to forgive. Okay, there, uh, that's kind of the main stuff right there. But I do want to give you uh, some practical. Um, oh, I, before I go there, I should get James in here because New Testament wisdom. Uh, this is this is good stuff. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God 
desires. His righteousness is slow to anger, quick to forgive. And human righteousness, what happens is it gets our, our sense of righteousness, and we try to get that, that high moral ground, you know, above somebody else. And our ego gets in there, and all kinds of, of bad stuff comes into it. And uh, it's not all motivated by love. It's, it's hardwired into other things that aren't good. We'll come back uh, to that one as well. But that's pretty convincing that we're on the right track. I want to give you some practical helps now, maybe as parents, just a few, and we're going to look at this one verse. A quick-tempered person does foolish things. And this is what we call hot anger. Quick-tempered or hot-headed is another translation of that. That leads to foolish things. Foolish things. Now, there's a myth out there, another anger myth. And this one is really, really prevalent. And I, I'm, a, I'm bringing it up just because some of you, some of you may think I'm... Uh, I'm crazy or something, but it's so common that it needs, somebody needs to call the emperor out for being naked. Here's the myth. It's called the myth of venting anger, and you probably already know what it is. You're like a, uh, we're like volcanoes, and that if you can just vent or express your anger, then you're more likely to be appropriately ang- or you know appropriately angry as a person. You're not you're not going to be uh, doing it in the wrong place. So we get, we get kids into sports. This is a great illustration for sports. And what which gender typically goes along with this venting myth? Boys. It's a great place for boys because boys have all this energy inside of them and then they, they, just can, they can go and you know, knock somebody's head off with, in a football uniform or a hockey, whatever, and then they don't, theoretically they don't do it somewhere else. That's, that's the, the logic of it. So in 1983, a woman uh, researcher named Carol Tavris, who's quite famous actually for her work, uh, she set in motion a, there we go, uh, Tavris, yeah, uh, a a long conversation about this. Okay, here's her quote. People who are more prone to give vent to their rage get angrier, not less angry. Now, she has research to back this up, and since 1983, many, many more have done this research. And in my opinion, it's way underreported. I still hear the myth being talked about. And uh, so... What, what she's saying is if you cultivate anger in any way, if you give uh, uh, this permission to express anger outwardly, it leads to more anger being expressed. Now, she's a feminist. Uh, I believe uh, probably uh, she's Jewish, but probably secular Jewish. I don't know her whole story. But her, her, I think her subplot is that she doesn't want you know, uh, young girls thinking that what it means to thrive in this world is to become angry like young boys do. And there's this whole thing going on there. And I think what she's saying is that women have a better understanding of what anger is, the way they handle it, although she has some things to say there as well. But this is her main point. People who are most prone to give vent to their rage get angrier, not less angry. And it's not cathartic. It actually leads to uh, some bad stuff. And if you know anything about the research on anger, is it's very deadly. It's really bad for your heart. It's bad for your lungs. It's bad for your body. It's not good. So uh, there we have that. And it kind of makes sense because, you know, God, if we're created in his image, wouldn't it be awful if God felt good, you know, he, he needed to have anger expressed to feel good about himself. Doesn't work. 
That's not who God is. And that would be awful if it were. He's not a volcano. He is slow to anger, quick to forgive. Okay, so we were also, uh, I've said this, this is like basic 101, but we need to say it again, is that no one is born, I was not born with an ounce of wisdom. Not an ounce. And no human being is born with any wisdom. That's what the Bible is saying. You have to acquire it. And it's valuable. And Solomon says, you seek after it as if it were gold. It's that valuable. It's precious as rubies. I can go on and on. But So here's, here's I want to share a little story about this venting and, and wisdom stuff. Our oldest son, when he was nine years old, uh, he, well, he was an oldest son. And uh, I'm an oldest son. Uh, and uh, I mean, I have a, I have an older sister, but that's another problem uh, story. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If she were here, she'd laugh. But uh, as an older son, one of the characteristics, and it's not true of everyone. I'm, I know I'm generalizing, but they tend to be tightly wound, and they tend to be very concerned about justice and very concerned about the rules. Okay, that's our older son, age nine. And he loved baseball. And so we would have these backyard baseball games. And, and, and it, it, there was kind of a pattern here in his, in his life. And uh, I'll describe what I call the, the parag- paradig- paradigmatic moment. That, that moment which sort of expressed that whole season of his life. Where he, I don't remember how the, what, what rule got broken, but these were all like friends in the neighborhood, and they were all over that night, and I'm playing with them, and he's on third base, just having an absolute meltdown over some rule broken by some kid who wants to kill him. <laughs> and so, uh, being a dad, and you know, acquiring some wisdom along the way, I take him inside to the kitchen and we, we sit down at the table and I try to make the case and he's just, he's just beside himself with anger try to calm him down make the case that you're losing basically what that uh, proverb said you're losing your glory here if, if you keep doing this you'll, you won't have any friends in the neighborhood to play baseball with you'll be out there with a ball throwing it up in the air and trying to hit it and that's it this is bad social behavior basically. You're not learning. It's not about baseball. It's about life, and you need to get a handle on your life. And he, he through his tears, said something like, you're the worst dad ever, you know. And, and being, um, you know, a little bit wise by that point, you know, I, I remembered, uh, I, do, I actually do remember this verse. I used it many times in my memory, but it was read for you. 15, Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. So if you can, when somebody, somebody verbally is aggressive with you, if you can just show them some grace, it's amazing how the temperature comes down. So I just kept trying that approach, and eventually he had his cry. And, uh, you know, parents, I think you know this, that usually after a hard cry, there's an there's opportunity for some traction there for parenting, right? I mean, I know there's kids in the room that probably shouldn't hear all these strategies, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So we were able to, to then talk about it and eventually let him get back in the game. Now, the, the irony of this is that he has, 
this is so cool to, to, to tell you, but he has a seven-year-old son who is more that way than he was at age... I mean, I'm not kidding. This, it, my grandson, he just meltdowns over especially sports. And, and, but what's cool is to watch my son patiently. He's grown. He's grown in wisdom. I mean, he is just, it's so cool. The best part about grandparenting is watching my kid's parent. It's really fun. I enjoy it immensely. It's not have to be in the middle of it anymore. Just observe. <laughs> but it, watching him patiently uh, say, now, you know, Casey, you know, you, you know, you know bring it to, do, do some of the same stuff. I, this is parenting. It's, it's such a beautiful thing, but it has to do with what does it mean to be uh, wise in the use of our anger. So the first one is don't be a fool by being hot with your anger. And then the second part of this verse, verse 17, is uh, the one who devises evil schemes is hated. So this is cold anger. The first half of the verse is addressing those who are you know, prone to spew and blow up. And then the other part of the verse is addressing those who just like, they're, they're kind of cold and maybe they're simmering inside and they don't express their anger, they suppress their anger. And this is the language that gets used by psychologists. All right, so I, this, is, this is a fun story. I was at the YMCA over here uh, a while back, and I was getting my getting dressed to do one of my super workout things there. And uh, uh, there were these two boys that came in, and they uh, start getting ready to do whatever they're going to do. And you know, some of the best things in life are overheard. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not a professional eavesdropper. Don't worry. But there I am. You know, and I'm the, it's me and them, and they're talking. So. The one kid asked the other, how was your day? Which I thought, that's a cool question to ask, you know, one 11-year-old boy to another. Yeah, how was your day? And I think he said, how was your day at school? And the other boy, uh, what a a great answer uh, he had. He said, I had the best day. The boy I absolutely hate got in big trouble. (laughs) So me being a pastor quoted this verse. Whoever whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. All right. I I didn't. I I just so you know, I didn't do that. Kids would never go to the Y again, you know. But that, that verse does apply. So that in our hearts, we can, uh, what is it? Uh, We have a root of anger, a bitter root. And you know, roots turn into trees and trees turn into forests. So that root of anger can spread. And uh, our, our anger has a way of growing in our hearts, even though it doesn't ever really come out, but we become angry people here. Now that's exactly where Jesus loves to do his work is here in our hearts. So I want to go there uh, and talk about the last piece here, and that is the healing of anger. And we're going to uh, start out by using this diagram, which is basically saying that anger, you probably heard this psychologist quote it all the time, anger is a secondary emotion. It's not primary. In other words, if you feel anger, if you could just kind of rewind the clock just a little bit, there was something else you felt before you got angry. And it could have been uh, some of the words up there, embarrassed, uh, shamed, gilded, uh, rejected, 
whatever. There's just this sort of Freudian underworld of emotions that express themselves through anger. Okay, and and I think that is true. That's a that's not far off. Let me give you an example. Uh, There was a couple that. Uh, they, they're long away, uh, and I was trying to help in their marriage, and they're now divorced. But I remember a conversation that they had. Uh, one day they came in, and, and they, um, the wife said, you won't believe what happened this week. And, you know, I always, I mean, I've heard that before, and, and I, I always wish I had a video camera because I don't know what happened this week, and I know I'm going to get two sides on it. But anyway, um, Here's what happened, apparently, was that they were driving on uh, 405 at 60-whatever miles an hour, and he was driving, and she was in the passenger seat, and she, he nodded off while he was driving at that speed. Now, you know, it happens. Uh, fortunately, they're here to tell the story, and, you know, I'm okay. But what ha- what's, what's interesting is that she, when she saw him nod off for, you know, maybe just a second or two, she grabbed his shoulder like this and, you know, shook him and yelled at him, like, wake up! And he woke up, and immediately he grabbed her shoulder and yelled at her. Now, why would a man do that? He's angry at her because, shame, men are supposed to be in control, he's asleep at the wheel, I mean, there's all, you, I, I hope that you can understand. I know maybe, I think men understand why, why. Maybe, I don't know if women understand. Do you understand, women, why this happened this way? I mean, it's really, it's not good, but it, it does illustrate how anger is a secondary emotion. And we had, we talked about that, and he owned it. He's, he's yeah, when we, I probed on it, it was his sense of ego and pride that caused him to not want to say he was wrong. <laughs> It expressed itself as anger. Okay, so here's, here's where I want to go. If, I, I said this earlier, but if God expresses anger, what is the first thing? What's, what's the baseline? What's the first thing, the foundation of that anger? It's love. That, that's, so for, for God, we could say anger is a secondary emotion, and the main thing and it's not just emotion, because God's love is beyond that, but it, it is the same idea that it starts with love, and it, because it's slow, and he's quick to forgive, but his love can turn into anger, because he loves people so much. Without all the other stuff that comes in there, all those words up there, that come in there because we are so self-centered. Now this is where Jesus does his work. And I'm going to ask you here in a sec to uh, be open to him doing some work in, in you this morning or in your children. If you want to pray for them, that's fine. But to be angry like God is, is to be slow to anger and quick to forgive and to try to get that rewiring where our anger is based in love, that it's really about the love of another person as opposed to the centeredness of the self. So if you're able, and you can do this sitting down, the only reason I'm going to ask you to stand right now is so that you'll be more focused, because I know sometimes when I ask people to close their eyes and they're sitting down, they're like the guy in the car, you know, and then somebody has to shake you and wake you up and you get mad. No, I don't want to go anyway. All right. So if you would stand right now, if you're able, and I'm going to lead all of us through a prayer, but I want you to close your eyes because I want you to use your imaginations here. 
Imagine that, I want you to picture Jesus Christ, Jesus dying, there he is on the cross on that Friday afternoon, between noon and three, he's dying. And the Bible kind of gives us some pictures of that. And ask the question of him, why aren't you angry? Why, when I look at you, Jesus, why aren't you angry right now? Because you've been bullied and beaten and mocked and spit on and scorned, shamed. And when those things happen to me, I get angry. Why aren't you angry right now, Jesus? And he looks at you with his love. And you can tell that that's what he is. He's full of love for you. I love you, he says. Now, I want you to do something kind of courageous and bold, if you would, and that is to invite Jesus into your anger, whatever that is. And I think you'll experience that as you invite Jesus into your anger, you're also inviting him into healing your anger. That your anger would be more slow. That your forgiveness would be more quick. And that whatever anger you express would be more and more rooted in love. That you would be more like God in your anger. Jesus, this is what we pray. Amen.